The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a great passage to walk through this morning. Um, in high school, I was a part of a group, a club called FBLA. It was the future business leaders of America, right? Look at me now. No. <laughs> now, in addition to learning skills, entrepreneurial skills, and business planning, there were competitions, regional and state competitions. And what competitions could there possibly be for future business leaders of America? Well, my event was the job interview. I competed statewide and regionally in the job interview competition. It's a real thing. It's a very prestigious event. Um, <clears throat> here's the premise. There's a fake company that's created uh, with a fake job description and a fake application. You fill out this fake application. You create a fake resume. And then you perform a fake live interview among a panel of fake prospective employers. And I placed first in the region of northern Kentucky uh, and third in the state. So, and I know why um, uh, I failed miserably at one question, and I know exactly why, what it was, but that's not the point. But here, in these job interviews, you've been a part of a job interview. Uh, I spent a few years learning how to do a job interview well, learning the art and science of it to really answer three questions. Who are you? Right? These are questions asked by employers. What do you do, and what have you accomplished? This is how we, we pad our resume to answer these three questions. Because someone wanting to hire you is going to ask, who are you? I mean, what, what, what have you done with your life? What have you accomplished? What, what is your identity? And so they ask questions in a, in a very small amount of time. They try to get as much information as they can to figure out who you are and what's passionate in your life and what do you care about. And that's really a person's identity is really seen through those things. And it's, it's, it's just laid bare for our, our hopeful employers to see. We show them, this is who I am. This is what I have done. This is how I've spent my time and what I have accomplished. And when we think about a person's identity, we usually think on those three questions, right? Who are you? What do you do? And what have you accomplished? Well, I'm a father, a husband, a son. I'm a pastor by vocation. I scored first in the region of Northern Kentucky on job interview. Right? That's who I am. That's what I do. That's, those are my accomplishments. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. 
The Apostle Peter, in our scripture, he's writing to his friends, and he wants to speak to us on how we go about answering those questions. How does a Christian go about answering the question of, who are you, what do you do, and what have you accomplished? What is your identity? Who are you? The Christian often fails in, in, in one of two errors when they're reflecting on their personal identity. And I want you to think upon that this morning deeply. Who are you? What, on what does your identity rest? And the Christian falls in, in error one of two ways. One, it's marked by their weaknesses and failures. And so when a person thinks about who they are and what they have done, there's a sense of failure. There's a sense of shame. There's a, a sense of, I haven't done much in my life. I am not that important. Who would care about me? And so with every birthday that comes and goes, there's a sense of, of depression because it's a reminder of how little you have done in your life. Or the person is on the other side of things, where they mark their identity by their strengths and their achievements in life. They see life through a lens of all their resume. Their value and worth is dependent on what they have done, what they have accomplished, the size of their bank account, the, 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 the LinkedIn profile, their resume. And the Bible shows us that a Christian's identity is not rooted in either. And the early Christians who were the first audience to this scripture read today were in the midst of an identity crisis. They were in the midst of an identity complex. They didn't know who they were. They didn't know what they were supposed to do with their life, having now known Christ. They didn't know uh, how they ought to view their accomplishments, or for many of them, their lack of accomplishments. Why are we important? And so the author Peter addresses their identity in three areas. Who are you? In relationship to... Uh, people around you. Who are you? What do you do? How are you to live your life? And how, what, where are you to give your energy? And what are your achievements? And what do you base your hope on? And so we're going to look at these three areas of identity as a Christian in just those three questions. First, who are you? Our passage says that we are living stones. That we are living stones. We come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious Peter's audience would have understood this analogy and this metaphor really well, but for us, maybe we don't understand it as well when it talks about a spiritual house. A spiritual house was a temple. It was a place of meeting God. It was a place where God would dwell, and if we wanted to be with Him and communicate with Him and have a relationship with Him, we would go to the temple. It was a gathering point for God's people. It was a temple. When they wanted to hear from God, they entered into a building. They entered into some other structure, whether it was a tabernacle and for Moses, he had a, God even put him in like a cleft of a rock where his glory passed by and he saw him. He met with God. So God's people are very good at entering into places so that they can meet with God and have fellowship with him. Elijah entered into a cave to meet with God. In later times, God's people would meet in a temple. And in the times that this passage was written, God's people met in a temple to worship him and to offer sacrifices to him through the work of priests. But now the Bible is saying, you are living stones that make up this spiritual house. You are God's temple. You are the meeting place of God to know God, to enter into the tabernacle, to enter into the cave, to enter into the cleft of the rock, to enter into something, to know God and have relationship with him. You had to go in. But now God is saying, I am entering into you. You are the meeting place. You are the place that I come to be with you and to meet with you and have fellowship with you. You had to enter into all these places, but now I am entering into you. 
to have relationship with you. And every time a person trusts in Jesus, they're a living stone cemented into a spiritual house. I mean, look at, would you look at the diversity? Look at, look at the spiritual house. Look at the people of God. I mean, would you do that? Could you just like actually like physically look around and look at the people in your row? Look at the people around. I mean, the different, different shapes, different colors, different life stages, different stories. No one in this room has the same story as you. No one has the same struggles. There might, you, your struggles might not be entirely unique, but no one has the same struggles as you. The same identity, the same story to tell. No one has the same background, the same baggage, the same joys or sorrows. If you are 10 years old and you have come to Christ seeing that He is good and that you need Him and you trust in Him, you're a living stone in a spiritual house that God is building. If you're 90 years old, the same is true for you. God is using you at any stage, at any age, at any background, at any record or character, He's using you to build his church. If you're a Christian, you have a dual identity. That's what Peter is saying. You you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you're part of a larger Christian body called the church. When one of these dual identities is lacking, we find ourselves in in unhealthy patterns. Think about this. If If you're plugged into the church, if you're here every week, if you serve where there is a need, if you... Uh, you're investing in an individual prayer, an individual Bible reading, you give financially to the church. I mean, you're plugged in. You invest in the people of God. But you are not strong personally in your relationship with God, and something's lacking. What if you, well, look at, if, if the opposite, if you're great at the personal time with the Lord, this personal relationship with God, and yet you're, you're isolated from God's people, you're isolated from the fellowship of the church, then also you're not strong Following Jesus entails committing to his community, his church, his spiritual house. Accepting Jesus also means accepting the people whom Jesus has redeemed and brought together in community. The Christian who follows Jesus but does not love the church is a walking contradiction. Peter is wanting us to see this dual identity that we have. Who are you? We're living stones. We're individual stones that make up a larger spiritual body that Jesus is building. What does the Christian, what what does Christianity center on? What is the identity of this Christian center on? Is it a a code of morality? Is it about being a good person? Is it about the morals of being a Christian or the behaviors of being a Christian? Is it an experience of spirituality? Maybe like an an emotional kind of -of out-of-body experience. Does it center on community? Is, does it mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean Christianity is centered on the, the people and the, the life that is shared among us? Does it center on thoughtful Bible study? Does it center on work of justice and compassion in the community? See, all these things are parts of what Christians do, but it is not what is at the core and center of what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is unique because it doesn't center on any of those things. It doesn't center on being a good person and loving your neighbor. It doesn't center on doing the right thing and being, being moral. It doesn't center on having potlucks every week. It centers on the cornerstone. Peter is saying we are, we are living stones, that we are bound together, 
And what makes us bound together is that we are resting on the strength and identity of Jesus, who is the cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone that was rejected. I want you to think about this imagery that is meant to, to be seen here by Peter. The, the imagery, the metaphor that evokes this specific scene. Uh, imagine a pile of stones. You have a, a construction site, and you're building a, a, a building. You're, you're uh, erecting a building made of just bricks, and you have to start somewhere, and you need to build the foundation, and you need to get the strong stone, and so you go over to the pile of stones, and you pick it up, and you, and you throw it aside, and you're looking for that perfect, strong, uh, well-structured stone that could be a, the cornerstone, the foundation stone that you're going to lay where everything else is going to be supported by that stone. And you keep sifting through this stone, and you cast it aside. And Jesus, the Bible's saying that Jesus was that cornerstone that, that people, the priests and the religious leaders and the, the people of the time picked up, and they evaluated it, and they discarded it, seeing, for, seeing it for what it was, they rejected him and kept looking for their hope and their Messiah and their Savior. And Jesus saying, I was thrown away. They looked at me, they evaluated me, and they kept looking. Jesus says that, that he is the perfect stone. Yet people look at him, they examine him, they reject him. And if we reject Christ and build our confidence for our life in anything else, then we build in vain. There's this story that uh, one of the disciples, Matthew, uh, records. These are the, the words of Jesus that Jesus tells his people uh, gathered in Matthew chapter 7. And it says this, Anyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fail it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. See, when we come to this living stone, we become living stones. When we come to Christ and see him for who he is and trust in him as our cornerstone, and our foundation of all of our life, then we will not be embarrassed. We will not be put to shame, ultimately. We become like living stones incorporated into God's spiritual house. What does it mean to be a Christian for you? I want you to think rhetorically about that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, many of you, uh, which is common, it, we would start to think about, well, it means to trust in Jesus uh, for our salvation, the forgiveness of sins, to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and being forgiven of all that we have done wrong, past, present, and future, and now we belong to God. And many of you would probably stop there, and many of you would hear that explanation and say, that's great, that's, that's the gospel, that's perfect. That's, that is it in a nutshell. And I want to let you know, as Peter is telling us, that, that is, being a Christian is, is, is not less than that, but it is much more. To only see it as a personal salvation is to see the gospel too narrow. Consider thinking of your identity in a new way, Peter says. To be a Christian is to be called into relationship with Jesus based on the work of Christ for you, but also to be called into a new relationship with one another. Living out the gospel truth in the context of authentic, meaningful, connected, committed, and unified community 
where God most more fully dwells in his people and manifests his blessing increasingly as, they come, as we come together and worship him. You see, what we do on Sunday morning, it's not just, this isn't our weekly club meeting. It's not the, the weekly time where the members of this club come together to be seen by each other or to do a ritual deed, uh, to do a, a special thing for God or a special thing for others. It's not something we do out of obligation. We come because we recognize that God has reconciled us to himself, but also we are living stones and God dwells in us. And as we gather for worship, his blessing and his love is more, more beautifully manifested together as we worship him and reflect on him and open our hearts and minds to hear from him and to pursue him with all his love and all his joy. See, Sunday worship is, is not something that we have to do. It, and God's people are not just, we're not God's people or the church just when we meet on Sunday, but we are God's people as we live out the life in us. So what do we do? This is our identity. We're living stones. We're, we have this individual and this collective identity. Well, what are we supposed to do then? Well, to be a Christian is to have a specific kind of, of job. It's a specific kind of participation in worship. It is to be priests. We are to be priests. God is gathering you to be priests. And what do priests do? Well, priests, my favorite job that they do is they kill things. They sacrifice stuff. They slaughter things. Right? That's what your job is. To kill things. The priests in the temple would enter into God's temple. Uh, they would communicate with God on behalf of the people that were waiting outside, waiting for a word from God. Uh, many, they would make requests to God on behalf of the people. They would bring requests to God, uh, the sins of the people, asking for forgiveness. They would kill an animal, and they would sprinkle the blood on the altar, and they would make peace between God and man. And when they built Herod's temple in 90, uh, 19 A.D., uh, they built it by taking priests, a thousand priests. They took a thousand holy men and religious men, and they trained them to be masons. And so they took spiritual men, and they trained them to be builders, to build the house. And they, uh, Christ breathed life. He breathes life into us as living stones as we come to him by faith. And he now takes spiritual men and trains, trains us. So he takes us and he trains us to be spiritual men and women who are building up his house. How do we do this? Well, in, ex in Exodus, in the Old Testament, Moses was told by God to tell the people that God wanted to make them a kingdom of priests. He wanted to make them a holy priesthood. And the purpose of this is so that God's people, Israel, would stand in opposition to the culture as a, as a shining light of hope and love and justice and compassion in the midst of an ungodly culture that did not know God. God said, I want you to take this people and I want you to make them a priesthood of believers so that they could stand in, the, in culture to be a bright light of hope and love for all. As God's people would obey them, they would influence the world around them. But guess what happened? They failed miserably. They failed miserably. Instead of being a light to the culture, they became like the culture. Instead of worshiping God in the midst of an ungodly culture, they started to worship the gods of that culture and to embrace the idols of that culture, doing what they did and embracing what they embraced and liking what they liked and looking like they looked. They were indistinguishable from everyone else. They adopted everything that that, that culture worshipped. And this time, the Bible says, Christ is going to build his spiritual house. And it will work. And it will work because he is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. 
The resurrected Jesus will be our cornerstone. And Jesus is building. He is taking people that were once dead in our sin, who are now alive, and he's using us to build his spiritual house. And he will not fail. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not be able to knock it down, will not be able to overthrow what Jesus is building. That's what we are a part of. We're priests. He's using you and me who trust in him to be part of something much bigger that will last forever. As priests, Christ is calling us to influence the world around us through spiritual sacrifice. And I want to see what, is, what does it mean to, be, to offer spiritual sacrifices like this passage said, that we are a holy priesthood meant to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God. Uh, there are three passages I want to quickly just uh, reference and take a look at them one at a time. The first one is Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, great joy of mine, one of the things I love so much by being a pastor is I get to officiate weddings. And they're a lot of fun. One of my favorite things to do is to officiate a wedding. I've officiated some of yours. And it's been a great joy. And one of the great things I get to see is at that moment, and, and this is when everything stops in my head and I'm not thinking about anything, but this one moment where the, the bride is coming down and the first time the bride and the groom-to-be are united and they're brought together, and you go through the vows, and you talk about uh, giving themselves to one another. And they present their bodies as a living sacrifice to one another. What they're saying is, my life, my body, my passions, uh, my every, my, I'm, it's yours. I offer myself to you joyfully and cheerfully, and the other does the same. So when the Bible talks about us giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, we are making a commitment to offer our whole lives to the glory of God without hesitation, without reservation. We're saying, God, everything in my life is yours. It is this engagement of sorts. It is this wedding of sorts where God commits himself to us and we commit to him. And so in, when Paul says in Romans 12 that we, we give our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, it means that we see everything in our life we place our very life on the altar of God. We say, God, my life is yours. And we wake up every morning saying, God, my life belongs to you. Do with it what you desire. We remember the commitment when we wake up and we decide what to wear out of the house. We're committed to Christ. We remember this when we spend time with a boyfriend or girlfriend, that we are committed to Christ. We, we remember this when our spouse has just pushed our last button. We are committed to Christ and we belong to him. We remember this when we go spend time socially in celebration and recreation with our friends on the weekend. We are committed to Christ, living our life as a living sacrifice. When we open up our checkbook or buy anything, we remember we're committed to Christ and my life belongs to Him. It's a good habit to wake up every morning and say, Lord, today I'm yours. Use me in any way that you can. And so offering our bodies as a sacrifice changes the way we interact with the world and with people around us. Here's another verse that talks about living sacrifices in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This is about acknowledging our thanks to God. We sacrifice and, and offer up sacrifices to God when we thank him for the gifts he has given us. 
It's a, it's a sacrifice of praise, and it's acceptable, it's a pleasing to God when we recognize that, God, all that I have is yours. Talked about this briefly with our offering. When we give of our finances, we are, we, this is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. When we reflect on our life and when we, when, we, when we pray to God, offering thanks for all that He has done, this is a living sacrifice. And lastly, just in the next verse in Hebrews 13, 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Generosity is a spiritual sacrifice in our time, in our money, in our space. The Old Testament priests, they brought sacrifices to the temple. But now the temple is God's people and the altar is replaced by Jesus and his blood. And those who believe in Jesus are priests. They come to God offering sacrifices of worship. You know what for me is a great accountability, accountability point? You know what helps me be holy? Holy meaning, uh, not like holy father, you know, but like holy, like righteous, obedient to Christ, increasing in, in, in my sanctification? You guys. Now let me explain that. I live my life, here's the burden and the joy that I live under. I live my life every week, reflecting on my thoughts, reflecting on my actions, knowing that I have to come before you on Sunday and preach God's word and talk about Jesus. I think twice, knowing that at first I'm accountable to God for my life and my actions, but knowing also that I'm accountable to you as your pastor and your shepherd in righteousness and as your encourager in your faith and your, as I pray for you and as I uh, care for you and as I uh, urge you on and encourage you to live lives worthy of your calling, I'm accountable to you for how I live. And so if I'm having a horrible Saturday and I know I've got to come preach and open up the scriptures and I have to pray and I have to, I have to be in the right heart and the right mindset, there's something that happens on that Saturday that I have, to get, I have to reconcile with those sins or temptations. I have to repent and confess of them. I have to ask God for forgiveness so that I can uh, more appropriately present God's word to you. And you might think, well, yeah, well, that's your job. Like, you're the, you're the pastor. <laughs> like, it's your job to be holy so that we can look at you as our example and be like you. And guess what? That's your job, too. This is, a, this is a privilege and a role that is not given exclusively to those who are in charge of, of leading and shepherding the church. Peter says we are a holy priesthood. If you are a living stone, if you believe in Jesus, then you have a job to do. And what is that job? To act as a priest. To sacrifice and to lay at the altar of Christ your sin. Because I need you, and you are a great accountability partner, because I know I have to come and, 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 and my life is accountable to you. But your life is accountable to me, and your life is accountable to one another. But often we live in the kind of like isolation and solitude, thinking, well, my sins can be secret, because my, my faith is private, my relationship with God is between me and God, and if I'm struggling with something, I'll deal with that with my, my closest friends or I'll, I'll deal with it in my heart and, and I'll, I'll work through it. It's none of your business. I don't need you. Peter is saying the idea that our faith is private is, is not in Scripture. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, we are entering into a relationship with His redeemed church. 
And this is, a, this is an accountability partner, isn't it? It's helpful for us as we are being built up. And so when Peter says, you're a priesthood, this is what you do. You're made into a priesthood means that because of Jesus, we have equal access to the fellowship and forgiveness of God. Live every day in your conduct, in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your, in your, in your sanctifications as if you have to give a sermon that evening. And wake up, because that's how I live. How horrible is this? <laughs> the burden that I carry. No, but it's a joy. I mean, it is such a joy because I get to grow in my faith because of you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me accountable because I get to be ushered into the fellowship and joy of Christ and his love for me and his redemption of my sins and forgiveness of my sins probably more than you because of the weight that I feel of being accountable to all of you. And the Bible says you guys should feel the same way. So we gather together as God's people. You should have the same mind. Because guess what? You are giving a sermon. In everything that you do, in the conduct of your life, in the words that you speak, in the attitudes of your heart, and everything you're like, you are a walking sermon. And you are to the watching world, you are proclaiming the gospel. And some of you are great preachers, and some of you are really bad preachers. But we're walking sermons. And our gifts, as we come to bring our gifts, they're acceptable because of Jesus. All that we are is because of all that Jesus is. A church that rests on anything but Christ, this chief cornerstone, is a shaky, shaky church. A church that rests on my holiness and sanctification is a shaky, shaky church. This is interesting because Peter, his name means rock in Greek. And Jesus looks at Peter before he ascended into heaven and said, On this rock I will build my church. And Peter is processing this, and he is now realizing that I am a, a rock, and, but, but Jesus is the stone, the chief cornerstone. And when Jesus said, I'm on, on this rock I will build my church, Jesus is saying that you're not the foundation, Peter. I am building with you, I'm using you to build on the foundation that's already been established. So everything we do as Holy Cross Church is a building on what Jesus has laid. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on the work of God being manifested on, on Christ and his work that he's done for us. We don't offer perfect sacrifices. I don't come to you as a perfect per pastor. You don't come as a perfect uh, Christ follower and church member. But we know, this is what Peter says, that our gifts as we come in faith, we offer them in faith, they are accepted because they're accepted based on Jesus' perfect sacrifice. Jesus perfects and forgives our flawed sacrifice. And so when we come in our weakness and our trouble, we come with our gifts and our sin as, as flawed as they are, and we say, God, I, I trust in you. You're my hope of my forgiveness and my salvation. Here is what I have to offer the Bible says that Jesus takes that gift, he perfects it, and he receives it based on the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. This is the work that we are called to do, to be priests. We are priesthood of believers. Have you ever seen yourself as that? And not like there's a, there's a capital priest, a capital P, where there's one person who has a privileged relationship with God that acts as a mediator between God and the people. And, and this person 
has a special relationship with God where they communicate to God on the people's behalf. They receive a message from God from God and they bring it back to the people. The Bible gives no room for that kind of hierarchy. The Bible says you're a priesthood of believers. There is nothing between your access to God. In Christ, your faith gives you access. Jesus is our mediator and no one else. Have you seen yourself like that in light of your relationship with God? Many of you have felt maybe you, you don't do this work of a priest because you're scared of approaching God with that work to do. You're scared of coming to the throne room of God with a sacrifice and with an offering because you know that you come flawed, you come sinful. And many of you don't come because you don't realize that Christ is your perfect sacrifice. He's our great high priest. Maybe today is that day where you, say, where you believe that Christ is my mediator. His perfect sacrifice takes my weak sacrifice and my record and my character and my sin and he makes it beautiful, he makes it perfect and he receives it and he is glad for it. And this leads us to the third part of our Christian's identity. This is, what have you accomplished? You look, you sit down with your prospective employer and you hand over the resume and they're looking over everything, judging you, evaluating you, sizing you up and down and you know they're looking at what you have done and you realize it may not be good enough. And Peter says in verse 9 and 10, you've received mercy. This is interesting because it's like if we ask the question, what have we done? What have we accomplished? And Peter says, you've received mercy. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. We have been granted the highest privilege in the universe, that we are God's people. This is the highest privilege, not by any merit of our own, not by any character or record that we've been able to uh, come up with, not be any experience that we've been able to perform. For our merits were deserving of punishment. So the Bible says, what have you accomplished? I want you to think about what you have accomplished in light of your salvation. The Bible says, what you have accomplished and everything that you have accomplished has led you to earning one thing from God. His deserving punishment. Like, you're fired. If you come with your resume, if you come with your application before God and, and you ask, is it good enough? He will say, it is so bad. It is so weak. You are so unqualified that not only do you not get this job, I now have to kill you. <laughs> what have we accomplished? The Bible says even our good work is like filthy rags before God. Even our good efforts are so bad that God turns from them like they are a stench, like they are disgusting. They are worthy of God's discard. I want you to appreciate the contrast of the gospel story that Peter gives to us today. The gospel is a story of contrast. It is a story of you once were and now you are. You once were in darkness but now you're in light. You once were alone, but now you're God's people and you have a, a people. You once were 
awaiting judgment, but now you have God's mercy. And when we think about what have we accomplished, we're supposed to let that sink in. Just let that sink in. The contrast of the gospel. You once were dark, now you're in light. You once were alone, alienated from God because of who you are, because your resume wasn't good enough. But now you're in God's family. Now you know the president and sit at his desk. You're awaiting judgment. And now you've received mercy and been given a a promotion. This passage is meant to show us our accomplishments and to show us that we have nothing to brag about. You're once awaiting judgment because of what you've accomplished. God never punishes the innocent. God never punishes the innocent because he's a just God. He never punishes the innocent. And so when he tells us you're deserving of punishment, it it says to us that we are guilty. We've rejected Christ. And so we're meant to evaluate where we place our confidence in our identity. You know, in in our culture, in, in the Western culture, because we're so rich and we're so educated and we're so advanced, by the world's standards, we define others and we let others define ourselves by our accomplishments, by our successes, uh, by our failures, by our achievements in life, by our strengths and weaknesses. And so we constantly live under this pressure of being evaluated and we constantly live under the pressure to perform. And then in the Western culture, this has become like a a habit and an idol. And then we take that pressure to perform and we bring it to our relationship with God and we show him our profile and we show him our our resume and we show him our accomplishments and our identity. We tell him what our hobbies are and we wonder, is it good enough for God? And Peter gives us an alternate way to live our lives and it's to see that this, all that we are rests on all that Jesus is. All of our identity all of who we are and what we do and our accomplishments that we have, it all rests on who Jesus is and what he has done. We are alive spiritually because Jesus is alive spiritually. We are living stones because Jesus is a living stone, the chief cornerstone. We're being built up into a house because Jesus is the cornerstone that holds it all together. And we will never ultimately be ashamed or embarrassed because of this relationship with God because he will not fail. We are God's chosen ones, chosen ones because Jesus is the chosen one. We offer sacrifices pleasing to God because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice that was pleasing to the Heavenly Father. And the promise that we have when we rest in Christ is that we will not be put to shame. We will not be ultimately disappointed that we lived a life in Christ, for Christ, and because of Christ in everything that we do. We will never be ultimately disappointed because our hope is in the sure cornerstone who is Christ. Do you need to make adjustments to your identity today? Your identity as a Christian and as a person, as a human. Who are you? Now, of course, there are things that you do. and there's a re- When you answer that question, it's in relationship to who you are in relationship to other people around you. Well, I'm a father because I have a son and two daughters. Janelle always reminds me of those. No, I'm uh, I have three kids. Sorry. Uh, I'm a a son because I have a dad and mom. I'm a brother because I have siblings. I'm a pastor because I have a congregation. I'm a neighbor because people live around me. So who I am is defined by people. Who are you? How you are, you, you are, you are, you belong to God because he has loved you and he has shown you mercy. 
You belong also to one another because he has brought you together to be a part of God's people. You're living stones in a spiritual house. What do you do? What is your role? What is your task? Where you're a priesthood of believers to offer sacrifices of pleasing to God. Because of your faith in Jesus, you give your whole life and say, God, my whole life is laid before your altar as, a, as, a, as an offer of praise and obedience and love for you and a love for your people. What do you view accomplished? Nothing of value that could earn your salvation. But in spite of all that, because of all that, God has shown you mercy. And your accomplishments, his accomplishments has been given to you. And now you are royal, are holy, are righteous in his sight. What a great truth. Let this identity be our guiding identity for our life. Let's pray.